But it is, uh, it's good to be here and, and have the privilege of uh, concluding our, our March sermon series called Destined to Dream. And if you missed any of, the we, uh, any of the sermons this month, I would encourage you, check them out online because there's been some, uh, some really good ones that, that we've uh, covered this week and, and some exciting things. And throughout the month, we've looked at different dreams that God gave people throughout Scripture. There was a number of, uh, of ones that we talked about that are, are applicable to each and every one of us. And we looked at how those dreams looked different for each person. Each one of those dreams originated from God. It started at the same point, but it looked so different for each and every person. Some of the dreams, they were, were not received well by the people around the person who the dream was given to. We talked about Joseph and his brothers, and, and that dream was not received well by his brothers, even though it worked out in the end. And others were simply laughable in nature. We had wheat bowing down to other wheat, and we had women who were decades beyond childbearing years being promised a child. And it's safe to say that this month we've seen no matter what that dream is, no matter how big, how outlandish, how scary, or how foolish it is, if God is the author of that dream, you can count on it, right? If that dream comes from God, uh, to, to put it into that you know, cliche phrase, you can take it to the bank. It's worth something. There's value in it. So this morning, the message is entitled, Keep Swinging, and, and, and Pastor Kevin alluded to it. If you're anything like me, you hear that phrase, keep swinging, and you think of baseball. And like, like our theme is this morning, baseball also means spring, so that's really awesome. But I I've, was so excited to have baseball back this week. I, I'm a big Milwaukee Brewers fan and uh, can't ever watch them on TV, um, so I try to follow along as best as I can. But when I hear this term, keep swinging, I think of baseball. Growing up, I, I played a lot of baseball when I was young uh, in Little League and, and kind of up through the 7th or 8th grade uh, age, and I played one year in college, and it wasn't because I was good, it was because they needed people, right? Um, that's the easiest way to get on a team, is if they need bodies, and uh, so I've always had a love for baseball, and I can remember spending hours and hours and hours of time uh, with, with dad playing catch or whatever it might be, and uh, when we lived in Pennsylvania, we had a nice big backyard, and then we were friends with our neighbors behind us. And so dad would stand on the, the sidewalk on our, on our yard, and I would stand in the neighbor's yard, and he would hit pop-ups to me for what seemed like hours until I couldn't pick up my arm, uh, it, just throwing it back and forth. Baseball is a game of repetition, and uh, the older I got, uh, as much as I loved baseball, I hated being up at bat, and, which is funny because usually that's what you want to do. You want to you have the opportunity to, you know, score a run or get a home run or something like that, and I had been scarred at a young age. Uh, we, we had a, um, uh, we were playing a game against a team that was actually the next league up from us, and so little Ben, uh, smaller than I am now, uh, I'm, I'm in the batter's box, and, and this big kid who seemed like he was about 30, and in reality he was probably like 14, um, I got hit with the pitch, and it, yeah, it hurt, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't break a bone or suffer internal bleeding or something like that, but it, it set something off in my head that every time I went up to bat, I struggled, uh, 
I was scared of that happening again. And so whether it was in practice, uh, probably more specifically in practice, um, or a game, I would hear people like my dad and the coach, they would encourage me to get back in the box. They would encourage me to keep swinging. They didn't want to see me give up. And to be honest, I hated when they would encourage me to do that because I wanted to just stand there. I was small, so I had a small strike zone. I wanted to stand there. I wanted to get a walk and get on base and be done with it. But what I didn't realize is that they were encouraging me not to give up. They were encouraging me not to miss out on an aspect of growth that would have benefited me later in life. See, this morning, we're looking in the book of 2 Kings, and there was, this, there was a man who could have used some encouragement like I received. He could have used some encouragement to keep going. In just a moment, we're going to look at chapter, th- chapter 13 of 2 Kings, and there was a man named Jehoash who became king of Israel after his father had been king of Israel. Now, if you've ever uh, spent much time in the Old Testament, you have thought of something that I have thought of. Like, why is one of these kings not just named Bill, okay? (laughs) So we're talking about Jehoash. His father was named Jehoaz, and like somewhere in the chapter also is a, a guy named Joash, okay? So if I accidentally say the wrong name today, just bear with me, but we're talking about King Jehoash, uh, the Israelite people at this point in time, they have always, they've been in, uh, involved in battles and disputes with the Aramean people for quite some time. And we see that Jehoash, he approaches the prophet Eli, who was nearing the end of his life, and he was hoping for some instruction and wisdom in dealing with this conflict. See, it was a little bit different at that point in time. Now, if we have a problem that we want to be victorious over or to deal with, we can talk straight to God. But in Old Testament, it was different. He had to go to the prophet. They had to, they had to go through people who God spoke to, and that's what he was doing. So he was doing what he needed to do, and that's where we pick it up in 2 Kings 13, starting in verse 15. And Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and so he did. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. That east window was facing Aram. So it was, it was signifying his victory over those people. Uh, let's see, I lost my spot there. Okay, open the east window. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Verse 18, then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. Co- uh, commentators who study scripture, they, they actually believe that that word strike could possibly mean continue to shoot the ground just a different term that was used. Uh, It says, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God, Elisha, was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. See, uh, Jehoash, he wanted the people of Israel to be rid of this ongoing issue of the Aramean conflict. 
There was something in his heart that lined up with what God wanted, and he knew that. He knew that God wanted his people to be free from this conflict, and he knew he couldn't do it on his own, so he went to Elisha for counsel and for guidance. And so this morning, my prayer for each and every one of us is for us to take a moment and to look at this story as it applies to areas of our lives that we know God wants to do something in. Each and every one of us, we have something that God wants us to be victorious over, but we look at it and we don't know how that can happen. It could be a relationship or it could be something at work or it could be an addiction. It could be one of those things that God wants you to stand above victoriously, but you realize that you can't do it on his own, that we can't do it without his intervention. Each of us have one of those things in our lives, and I believe the dream that God has for each and every one of us is to experience freedom and to remember what God wants to do in our lives. Because when you face a mountain, a lot of times that mountain can cast a shadow over what God is doing. And it's hard to look beyond it, but I think today God wants to remind us that there's a way beyond it. I believe that there are some encouraging things that we can learn from this story as it applies to these dreams that God has given you and me and is uh, putting in our hearts to make a reality. So number one, very quickly, God's plan is already at work. See, God had been working in Jehoash's life and leadership to create a desire in him to see the people of Israel to be free. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course he was. He's king. That's what they're supposed to do. But in those times, in, in biblical times, there were, there were kings who desired to be at war. They desired conflict because they wanted to absorb and take over more. And, and I, I, I read this story, and my impression of it is that he just wants his people to be free from this conflict, to, to quit being um, bogged down with this thing that is ongoing. And it's a natural response to look at what God wants to do in our lives and feel underqualified to do it. This wasn't a new conflict. It had been going on, and he finally got to the point where he realized he didn't have what it took to make it happen, and that's why he presented it to God. It's hard to see that area that God wants us to overcome or reclaim for him in the way that he sees it. God doesn't look at our situation and focus on the situation. He focuses on what will come. When God asks something of us, I promise you something, that's not the first time that it's ever crossed his mind. When God challenges you to invite that friend to church or to, uh, to maybe be a witness at work or to, to address a, a personal issue in your life, that's not the first time that God is thinking of that. He's not sitting there and, and it pops into his mind and he just blurts it out. Okay, now I know some of us do that, um, but that's not how God operates. He's not making a suggestion and hoping that we can figure out on our own how to make it happen. Have you ever spoken with someone or maybe seen somebody on TV that you can tell as they're speaking, they're making it up as they go? Have you ever seen that? Um, It happens with politicians and you know, you're like, 
yeah, have you ever thought about this before? Okay. Um, but it, you can tell when that's the case. And sometimes I think when God challenges something in our lives, uh, some of our responses can be, oh yeah, perfect timing. Or, you know, we can think that God just kind of, it came off the top of his head, but God is always at work in our lives. Scripture says that his timing is perfect and he sees the entire picture. And so when he brings those up in our lives, it's for a purpose. God told Joshua that he had already delivered Jericho over to him before he even told Joshua what his plan was. Okay, think about that. God was two steps ahead. He said, I've already delivered them over to your hands. And and by the way, the way that's going to happen is you're going to walk around it and you're going to look kind of goofy. Okay, God is ahead of us. He's already at work. He's preparing things that we don't even know need to be prepared for. He's given us skills and abilities or put people around you to help you do what he's asking. He has equipped us. I've shared this before, but I love it. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. If God asks you to do something, he's going to give you the resources. He's going to give the ability. He's going to surround you with people that you need to be surrounded by in order to make it happen. If you look at Moses, God told Moses he was going to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he said, but I can't talk in front of people. And he said, okay, well, how about Joshua? How about, or Aaron, excuse me, I already said Joshua, that's wrong. Don't double check that. How about Aaron? And God gave him Aaron in his life to help him accomplish, to help offset the deficiencies that Moses at least felt he had. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. For you, cre- for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God knows us so intimately that he knows what we need beside us to carry out what he has called us to do. When we did the work in the cafe a few months ago, there was a lot of work going on behind the scenes. And if, if you're not, maybe you're not around Silver Creek during the midweek or, or things like that, um, it could have been easy to miss what was happening because there were still walls up, right? There were still walls up there. There was a room with a brick wall and a, and a drywall wall. And uh, we'd been working on that room for weeks and weeks before we actually tore those walls down and you could see what was going on. And there may have been people who were here on a Sunday morning, didn't necessarily know anything was different, and they walk in the next week and the walls are gone, the carpet is down, the lights are done, everything is done because they weren't able to see what was going on behind the scenes. God is always at work in our lives. He doesn't call us to be victorious over our situation on our own power, but on his. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God doesn't leave projects unfinished. He doesn't. That, that, uh, that railing in your house that's been uh, wobbly forever and you keep meaning to fix it, or that light that's burnt out, he doesn't leave projects finished in our lives. So if he tells us that he wants to use us to do something, it's going to happen with our participation. He will continue that good work. He won't leave us shorthanded. Number two, 
There are no, there are no shortcuts. Anyone in here ever get into uh, what could be best uh, described as a, a disagreement, okay, with regards to the quickest or most efficient way to get somewhere? Anyone? And if, uh, husband, if you're raising your hand, your wife should be too. It goes both ways, okay? Um, if you're anything like me, y- if you know where you're going, you know the route that you've always taken, and you don't want to change that up in any way. You know the roads, you know the exits. Hello. You know the roads, you know the exits, you know where the best place to stop is, you know where the the best bathrooms are, okay? You know where you're going. The complicated part is when there are two of you who feel the exact same way and the route that you would take is different, okay? About a year or two ago, I think it was a year ago, I had an interesting shortcut experience um, with Pastor Kevin, otherwise known as Dad. Uh, We uh, were heading to a conference in Minneapolis, and uh, the thing you need to realize is that both myself and my dad lived in Minneapolis at different times, okay? There was several, you know, decades between the two, Um, but just two, just two. But, so we each had in our mind the, the way that we wanted to go, and um, eventually I lost because apparently my car, my rules was a thing, and he, we were in his car, and so we, we took his way that um, was projected to be a little quicker. I've told this story to my youth, so if, uh, youth, if you remember, don't, you know, don't get ahead of me, but at some point, it became evident that we were running low on gas, and uh, if there's any place that you don't want to be running low on gas, at least nearby where we are, it's in the middle of northern Wisconsin, okay, like northern Wisconsin, and so we started to get panicked and try to figure out where the closest gas station was that we could stop. And uh, there was virtually no cell phone service. So finally, at one point, uh, my 3G went to 4G, and I I could open up a map. And I don't know if these distances are exactly right, but my map was telling me that the nearest gas station was 50 miles away. Okay? That's, you know. Now... The car has one of those uh, things that it, it estimates how long you have left until you're stranded, you know. It, it, it gives you the range. And so the gas station was like 50 miles away, and the range said it was about 55, okay? Now, I am not naturally an optimist, but that day I, I was optimistic, and I said, we're gonna, we're, we're fine, we're fine, and, and dad, he's, he's stressed a little bit, and now if I was driving my own car, maybe it would have been different, I, I don't know, but we're, we're trying to figure out if we can make it, you know, I don't know if we got to the point, like, turning the air conditioning off, and, you know, we hadn't got to that point, but we're, we're cruising down these back roads, and we, we all of a sudden drive by something that I, at first glance, had no earthly idea was a gas station, okay, so we turn around and we pull in uh, to this place. And upon further inspection, it wasn't just a gas station. It was a gas station, a bar, and a motel. What more do you need in the middle of Wisconsin than those three there? So dad was pumping gas and I was waiting in the car. It didn't look like one of those places you wanted to go into unless you absolutely had to. Um, so I'm waiting in the car. And one thing that I love, I love to people watch, 
Okay, the airport is like the best thing ever, okay? And I just, it's interesting to me just to see how other people operate. And um, this time, people watching sort of came back to bite me. And uh, I'm sitting there and I see this gentleman walk out of the hotel bar gas station. And um, he's, he's dressed nicely. He's wearing a shirt and a tie and dress pants. And, you know, he... he Looks like he, you know, I don't know, we go into a business meeting or something. And he walks over to his car, which was maybe me to the back wall away from us, okay? Remember, dad's parking gas. I'm sitting in the front seat. I'm people watching. This guy goes over to his car, opens up the front door, starts rummaging through uh, the car, and he stands up straight and he starts to take off his tie, can't blame him because ties are uncomfortable. And when you get that point to that point where you're done with it, you want to be done with it. So he takes his tie off and I, I kind of glanced away and I looked back up and next thing I see, he's unbuttoning his shirt. And we're in a, he's in a parking lot, but you know, it's kind of secluded, I guess that's, that's okay. So he takes off his shirt and puts another one on. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, good. We are, we're past this awkwardness. And then I had this thought, I said, there's no way he's gonna keep going, is there? And sure enough, in the parking lot of the bar, hotel, restaurant, gas station place, this guy, he, go, he, he changes his pants. And I'm you know, trying to you know, wipe my memory of what is happening. And he changes his pants, he puts on overalls, uh, which there's nothing wrong with overalls, it just surprised me. Business, business clothes to overalls, it surprised me. And uh, he finishes you know, his task, and um, he's walking back inside, and he turns and he says something to us that is both alarming and kind of accurate. He, he, looks, he looks at us and he says, I can't afford to get my court clothes dirty. I don't know if he's a lawyer or if he just had a, a court date that day, but I was, I, it caught us by surprise. And the reason I tell you that ridiculous story, which is 100% accurate, by the way, is to prove the point that shortcuts do not ever do anyone any good, okay? <laughs> Never. They don't do any good. They sound good in your mind, but then you almost run out of gas and you see a grown man change in public, okay? That is what happens when it comes to shortcuts. But getting back to our story, Jehoash, he was told to his face that he would completely destroy the Arameans and was given specific instructions to shoot his arrows at the ground, which he did. He did that. But we see that Elisha was angry with him. He yelled at him and he told him that he would only defeat the Arameans three times, not completely. When I first read this, I had no idea why Elisha was so upset. Why he was so upset that he only fired three arrows at the ground. In, in fact, he listened to what he was instructed to do. But here's the thing. Elisha didn't give him specifics of how many to actually shoot. But back to our scripture, it says that he shot three and then he stopped. He stopped. So the thought is, is that he had more arrows that he could symbolically shoot in the ground to claim his victory over the Arameans. It's thought that even though he did as he was told, he didn't shoot all of them that were in his quiver. Jehoash held back some of what he had from what God was calling him to do. 
He held something back. We don't know why. We don't know if he was worried about needing them. We don't know if he just made the decision thinking that that was good enough, but he held something back. And it, it, it leads me to this thought that when it talks about things that God is calling us to do, areas in our lives that God wants us to claim victory over, what we need to understand is that partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Sometimes God asks us to be obedient and he doesn't tell us how far that obedience has to go. But we see from this story that there are consequences when we are disobedient. Jehoash didn't continue until, uh, to shoot arrows until Elisha told him to stop. He only took his obedience as far as he thought that he should, which turns out wasn't far enough. And here's what you need to have in your mind. Whatever the situation is, never be guilty of giving up right before the finish line. Never be guilty of doing that. In the message, which is a translation that you might have read of the Bible, it puts things in a very interesting perspective. And so in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, it says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. There's not a shortcut that we can take to the place that God wants us to go. Maybe Maybe he was sick and tired of shooting arrows and so he just didn't want to keep exerting himself and that's why he did that. There's no partial obedience to God. If we want all that he has for us, if we want the victory that he is laying out for us in that situation, we must be willing to give everything. And very quickly, number three, God is still merciful. Is anyone in here grateful for mercy? I am. Now, the hardest thing to comprehend about mercy is that it's really compassion or forgiveness that is shown from a person, a place, an entity who has the right or the power to punish someone. Mercy is the avoidance of punishment for something that is deserved. The thing is this, if you've ever been on the receiving end of mercy, whether it's by God or by others, it's not a surprise, right? When someone extends you mercy, you're expecting the punishment to be, to be laid out in a certain way and all of a sudden it, it's different and it, and it surprises you. You understand that you didn't deserve it. I Unfortunately, I have too many stories like this and I know I've shared one of them. I don't believe I've shared this one. Um, I have shared it with my, my students. They get all the good ones. Um, but it illustrates my point. And I've told you in the past about my previous inability to adhere to the posted speed limits, right? Uh, it was a dark time in my life. Um, and just to be clear, I frequently, I do reiterate the importance of obeying all traffic laws with our students in Switch, okay? I reiterate the fact that it's expensive to not do that and it's dangerous. Um, but this story uh, illustrates my point here. There was a time, it was probably about 10 years ago, where I was driving back and forth between Minneapolis and Green Bay, more than I wish I would have been at the time. That being said, I knew the drive by heart. It, was not, it, it wasn't super exciting, especially at night. There weren't even cows to look at um, at night. 
And that be, uh, it, it, it wasn't exciting and I was anxious for it to be over. And so one time I get stopped and I, for speeding and I'm in the middle of Wisconsin. Nowhere near where I was coming from or where I was going to, middle of the state. And the police officer approaches my car. He was very, he was very nice. He asked the normal questions and uh, he asked why I thought I pulled him over. And there is always a right answer to this question. And I said, yes, sir, I, I was speeding, I was speeding. And he kind of nods his head and he, he tilts his head at me kind of funny. And he looks at me and asks me a question that I would have never guessed he would have asked. Middle of Wisconsin. He says, have I pulled you over before? <laughs> and I, uh, I was a little confused. And I told him, I said, I, boy, I don't think so. I, I'm not even from around here. And he, go, he, he starts up again, almost excited and like proud of this. He goes, no, 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 I have pulled you over before. And I'm still confused. He goes, you're coming from Green Bay and you're going back to Minneapolis. And I just have this blank look on my face. I'm, I might have wet myself. I don't really know. Um, I was so confused. And, and, you know, it didn't quite stick at that time. It took a little longer, you know, to change my ways. But uh, he had pulled me over before. I was in shock. But what I was in shock, even more so than he had pulled me over twice in the middle of the state, was that he gave me a warning both times. Okay? Little, little word of advice. Honesty goes a long way. Um, but he stopped me in the middle of something that I was doing wrong. He caught me dead to rights, you know, the, the term is. I was caught and I even admitted my guilt. I told him what the problem was. I didn't deserve to be let off because I was in the wrong and here we were. And we see that Jehoash, he fell short. He made a mistake. He was the king of Israel and he had specific instructions from Elisha, the man of God, and he still messed it up, right? We're talking about a king and now we're talking about us. He still messed it up. When God gives us dreams or shows us areas that he wants to, us to experience freedom in, there will be times that we screw it up and we screw it up good. There will be those times. We'll never be able to justify or make excuses for those times, but it's important that you realize you are human, and as a human, you and I, we have a sin problem. We make mistakes. We fall short. We can be following God unlike any other time in our lives, and then one conversation happens, and it's derailed. One, one thing pops up on TV. One relationship goes a different way, and everything changes. But God is still merciful. The enemy wants to tell you that when we mess up, when things are going great and you make that mistake, he wants to tell you that there's no way God still wants to use you because of what you've done. He tells you that you are a failure. He tells you that you are irredeemable by God. And that's the voice of the enemy. But the beauty is, is that God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. In a few short weeks, we'll celebrate the culmination of God's mercy through Easter, sending Jesus to this earth to die on the cross 
for us, to be raised from the dead and give us the ability to have a relationship with him. There will be times where we revert to our old ways, our old habits, where we forget what God is doing in our lives and what he's called us to, but this is so encouraging that he is eagerly waiting to welcome us back. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God delights in showing mercy. That is a thought that doesn't quite sit with us because uh, as humans, we struggle with that. We want to hang on to things. We want people to get what they deserve, but God is looking for opportunities to show us mercy. And just like he was looking for opportunities to show that to us, Jehoash, he screwed up. He messed up, and as a result, there were consequences. He didn't get to experience the full defeat of the Arameans. Instead, he only got to defeat them three times. And you might be thinking that's still a lot, but for him, he did not experience everything that God had for him because of his failure. But God didn't kick him out as king. God didn't strike him down in that moment. He could have. He could have killed him in that moment for not following through on what he had been told. But God still used him as part of his plan. Remember King David, a man after God's own heart, failed miserably. He failed miserably Yet God still showed him mercy, still had him close to his side, still wanted to use him for his plans. So as we close and as we look at those areas in our lives that God wants to give us victory over, we need to remember the story of Jehoash. Because God had the intention of giving him victory over the Arameans. He had, he had every intention of doing it, and he even experienced that to a part, but he missed out. He missed out on the full blessing that God had for him. I think he, he kind of forgot that God was at work through the whole thing, and he thought he had to do it on his, on his own. He, he tried to take a shortcut along the way. He wasn't willing to commit himself 100%, and then he failed, and he experienced that God was still merciful. We need to be reminded that God is always at work even before he, we know what he wants to do. And we need to remember that there's no shortcuts to where God wants to take us and that God is still merciful even when we fail. Would you bow your heads with me? I know whether you're here in the sanctuary or out in the hub or in the cafe, each and every one of us, there's an area in our lives that you You've been able to identify that God wants you to have victory over, not for your glory, but for his. But you look at it and you can't see a way of victory. Like Jehoash, you, you don't know what to do. You realize you're at your end. And so you're turning to God and, and I want to encourage you to, to think of that situation here in just a second. It could be a relationship. It could be a friendship, something going on with a spouse. It could be something happening at work. It could be a leadership role that you have. It could be something that you've struggled with in an, in an addiction sense. God wants you to be victorious. 
God wants you to experience the freedom that he sent Jesus to this earth to die for. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect through that. But it means that God is with you. He's working on your behalf. He has a plan. He's merciful when we fall short. And so in just a moment, we're going to close in prayer and and we're going to, uh, the worship team's going to go into a song, and uh, I'm going to invite you to, in just a moment, to enter into worship with us. And I want you just to take a minute. If you're looking at that area and you can't seem to figure out what God wants to do in it or how he wants you to experience victory over it, and you, if you could use some encouragement, I would, I would just invite you to take just a moment, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. There, there might be some connect group leaders around who would love to just support you in that. But we want to believe that the best that God has for us is attainable through obedience and the power of God in our lives. The best that God has for us. I don't want to see any of us miss out even a little bit on the best that God has for us. So we're going to pray and then we're going to just go back into worship and I would encourage you to come forward if you would like some prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we see in your word, God, that you lay the foundation for what you are calling each and every one of us to do. Whether that's in our families, at our job, in our ministries, whatever that looks like, God, you've already began the process. You've already been at work behind the scenes and God, here we are, we're, we're at a point where we realize we can't do it on our own. And Father, I pray that right now you would speak to hearts about that situation that, that, they, that you would desire them to, to be victorious over, that you would desire for your spirit to shine through that situation, through that, through that, uh, that break that, that you, are, you are wanting to take place in their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage the one who maybe walked in the doors this morning and thought, you know what? God is done with me because I messed up. God is done with the plan for my life because I made mistakes. Father, I pray that you would speak to that heart, that they would be reminded that you are a merciful God. You want to bring us back to you. You want to pick us up, dust us off, and set us on your path. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us as we close this service out just with some worship and some time of prayer. Father, I love you, we love you, and we are so grateful for who you are. In your name we pray.